Hey guys, here's Natalia, and you're listening to another episode of my podcast. We are going to continue talking about native-like fluency, and this episode is part two. We will continue answering the question, how do you fit this infinite learning process into your very finite day? To give you some background, a lot of students kept asking me this question, how do I commit to lifelong learning, which translates to how should I organize my day? How will I know that whatever I'm doing every day is enough to move toward my goal? Because the process is infinite, I get it, I'm even ready to commit, but I'm not really sure if what I'm doing every day is enough. I'm not sure if what I'm doing every day is the right thing to do. And I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to be doing every single day to get to that big goal of mine. I get it. You have to move at your own pace. You got to do something small every day. But how small is it? How do we measure that? And a lot of people are not even ready to commit to this journey unless they understand how long it's going to take every single day and how many days exactly it's going to take them. In the first part of this episode, I told you personal stories of my commitment to working out, running, and horse riding lessons. Running and working out are the activities that I've been been doing for at least a decade, so there is enough data to analyze, and I do have something to say about that. And I thought these examples, these personal stories, would be necessary because probably some of you can relate to them better because you've been there as well. And you've been trying to answer this question for yourself too. How do I commit to working out regularly, consistently for the rest of my life? But it all starts here. You got to accept that you want to do it for the rest of your life. Now, in this episode, I want to continue with personal stories. And I thought I will give you two more examples. And the second example is going to be English practice. We're finally getting there. I mentioned in part two that it all boils down to three stages. Stage one is optimizing, stage two is adapting, and stage three is innovating. I'm going to walk you through my cooking routine in this episode and my language learning routine. And we will see how all of the stages work. I'm probably going to be jumping back and forth between cooking and English to show you that it really doesn't matter what skill you're practicing, the same algorithms and the same principles apply. So let's start with cooking. It really started as a routine during the lockdown. But I have to let you know that I already knew how to cook. It's not like a year ago I was a complete beginner. No. I was pretty good when I was a teenager I would cook a lot for my family already back then. And then I just stopped because I moved to a big city and I got used to eating out and I was always busy and I was always commuting and I could afford to eat out. So at some point I just stopped because I believed back then that I didn't have the time for that. I didn't have the time to do groceries. And I had this weird base assumption back then that cooking at home would mean cooking a very limited amount of meals and I would not get the variety that I wanted. 
you know, I could go to a Mexican restaurant, I could go to an Italian restaurant, I could I could go anywhere. And for some reason, I believed that eating at home would be boring and I would miss that variety. But it's important to understand that I already knew how to cook. It's just a year ago, during the lockdown, I suddenly realized that I, I have the time. I spend a lot more time at home now and that I don't really enjoy doing groceries anymore. So I stopped going to the store and I started using online delivery. So all my groceries would be delivered to my home. The restaurants were closed, of course, so there was no opportunity to go and eat out. And then I remembered that I can cook. And I thought, let's give it a try. The same applies to English. You see, it's important to understand that in order to set on this journey of achieving native-like fluency, you already need the foundation. You can only go there if you have the prerequisite for going there, which means you got to be already at least a confident intermediate level student or upper intermediate or advanced or higher. If I had had no idea how to cook, if I had never cooked anything in my life, I wouldn't have been able to start this journey a year ago and I wouldn't get to where I am now. It's important to understand. If you're an elementary level student, if you're a pre-intermediate level student and you don't know the basics yet, yes, you can actually organize your way of learning the language differently from the start and it's going to get a lot easier for you. Yes, you can do that. But native-like fluency is a world of nuances and details. In order to jump into the world of nuances, before you're ready to jump into the sea of nuances, into the ocean of nuances, and it's deep and it's beautiful, but it's deep, you got to feel very confident swimming somewhere closer to the shore. And only then you can dive deeper. So I had the prerequisite that was necessary. Let's take it from here. Did I have a goal? Let's think about it. When it comes to English, yes, I think I do have a goal. My goal is absolute fluency. And and once I realized that I can't really become a native speaker, you know, you got to be born in an English-speaking country to become one or to be one, not to become one, to be one. This promise, speak like a native speaker, doesn't really work. It's, it's impossible because you can't speak like a native speaker because you are not a native speaker. But it's a very feasible thing. It's very doable to achieve native-like fluency. And that is my goal. And when it comes to cooking, I can't say that I really had a goal one year ago. I can't say that I saw it. I probably felt it intuitively, but I didn't see it. Back then, my reasoning was, why not? I have the time, I have internet, I can look up recipes, and I already did it before. Why not? And now, one year later, I can say that I can see my goal a lot clearer. I understand it when it comes to cooking. And my cooking skills got a lot better with time. And every time it got a little bit better, it motivated me to continue. It motivated me not to stop. And and you won't believe it, but I've been experiencing so many benefits of cooking for my family and eating the food that I have cooked myself. My skin has gotten clearer. I just feel better. I have more energy. I, it takes surprisingly less time to actually cook a meal for your family than to go and eat out. I realized that 
restaurant food doesn't taste good to me anymore. It's ridiculous, but I started feeling bad quality ingredients. I mean, I can taste them and I don't like them. I recently bought some pastry in a bakery not far from where I live. You walk in and you see a bunch of hashtags on the walls. They're pretty popular on Instagram. And there were so many people I had to wait in line to get what I wanted. And everything in the shopping window looked so yummy and so tasty. I, I was dying to try it. And you know what? I brought it home and we couldn't eat it. I had a bite and it was just not edible at all. And members of my family also said that humans are not supposed to eat that. <laughs> it was really so bad. So good looking, but so bad. And it only happened because my family had already been accustomed to eating what I bake and to the taste of homemade cookies and homemade food. And I think two years ago, I wouldn't have even noticed any difference. And I wouldn't have been so picky two or three years ago. I would have eaten all of that. I think so. But now I got really picky. <laughs> and I think it's a good thing. So now a year later, I understand that I eat every day, actually three or four times a day, which means food is going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life. I'm not ready to commit to eating food that is okay, that doesn't bring joy. So I started thinking to myself, if I accept that this is a lifetime commitment, cooking for my family and for myself, how do I organize my day so that I find room in my day for cooking meals that taste good, that give me energy, that improve my health, and that actually bring people closer together. Now I realize that the goal is not to learn to cook. If somebody promised me a cooking course where I could learn to cook, I wouldn't buy that because I cook for my family, not because I want to cook better. I don't learn English just because I want to learn English better or to speak English better. It's not about cooking. It's about family. It's about creating the atmosphere at home. It's about coming back home that smells like homemade cookies and homemade pies. It's the smell of home. And it's about a quality life too. When I started cooking for my family, I started picking better ingredients. I started paying attention to what ingredients I use. And of course I use high quality ingredients and surprisingly it's cheaper to cook from the best ingredients than to eat a very okay, I would say, meal at an expensive restaurant. It's really less expensive and the benefits are huge. That's why I decided to commit to that and that's why I keep doing that. So when I realized that it's a lifelong commitment, I started optimizing. We already spoke about that. What does optimizing mean? It means I have to make it work for me. So optimizing for me in this case means that I only cook from the ingredients that I have. I only look up recipes that 
are not too complicated. I'm not going to I'm not going to order macadamia nuts from Australia or any types of other weird ingredients that are too expensive or too unavailable. The next thing is that I only cook what I would eat myself. I do not waste my time going through recipes of things that I would never eat myself. Yes, they might look pretty. Yes, they might look appealing. Yes, they might look interesting. But I do not waste my time going over there because I know I will not eat it and nobody will eat it. I only cook meals and I only bake things that take little time. I am not ready for those multi-layered cakes and exquisite decor and I'm not ready to make the ganache that needs to sit for nine hours and then make the cream that needs to sit for another 12 hours and then put them together. No, I'm not ready for that. I need to spend 30 minutes and get the best results. So that's the way I optimize it. And another thing is that I cook only healthy meals. As I said, something that I would eat myself. So these were my criteria. I asked myself how much time I want to spend cooking and I just watched myself. You know, every time I see a recipe that I like, I add it to my Pinterest board. And whenever I have the time or whenever I have the right ingredients, I go back to it and I make it. And every time I feel the urge to make something like homemade chocolate or cookies, I simply time myself. I started timing myself and I found out that from the moment of, oh, I got to make this and I do have the time to, I put it in the oven and now I just have to wait whatever amount of time, but it means I can start doing something else. I don't need to sit there and wait until it's done in the oven. It usually takes me from 15 to 35 minutes, no more than that. And this is how I found the time that I'm ready to spend cooking. I'm ready to commit to recipes that will take from 15 to maybe 45 minutes of my time during the day. And it's okay if I split this process into two parts. You know, you're going to make the dough. It usually takes about 10 to 15 minutes. You let it sit for an hour. Then you go do some other things in that hour. And then you go back to your dough. You know, you roll it. You cut the cookies and you put them in the oven. That takes another 10 to 15 minutes. And that works for me. Now let's take a large step back and see how everything that I have said about cooking applies to my English practice routine. I've been consciously improving my English for the last 20 years, maybe. And trust me, 10 years ago, my English was a lot worse, even though I thought it was quite okay. (laughs) I thought it was pretty good, but it was a lot worse. What was my goal? I already said my goal was absolute fluency because I had met some people that were not native speakers and I saw that they got there. And those people were my beacon of hope. I knew that if... Someone got there, and not just one person, I saw quite a few people. That meant I could do it too. And now I know that I can. You know, over the years, my English got better and better, and every time it got a little bit better, that motivated me to continue. Just like with cooking, you know, you bake something, it tastes great. Oh, you want to bake something again? Because in five minutes, it's usually gone. People like it that much. And since I got my teacher's degree, 
I have been practicing English on my own. Even when I was doing my master's, I was taking German classes, but not English classes anymore. There were no classes, there were no teachers anymore. I was a qualified teacher myself, and I was supposed to know how to practice my English so that it continuously improves. But starting from that moment, when I realized there will be no more courses, no more teachers, no more grades, no more exams, and no one to hold accountable for my progress, actually, I started thinking. I started thinking, what do I do to continuously improve my language skills? Because I have to do something on my own. And over the years, a lot of my skills have improved. I have learned to record podcasts, for example. That was something I couldn't even imagine 10 years ago. I am so much better now in front of the camera. I'm not afraid of the camera anymore. I did public talks in front of hundreds and thousands of people in 10 different countries at big conferences. I put together my own educational programs. I've been working with international sales and executive teams. I've been coaching top managers and business owners. A lot of different skills have improved over time just because I was consistent with my language practice routine. And I understand that this is an infinite process, just like working out. I want to stick with my workouts until the rest of my life, just like with cooking, because I eat every single day and I plan to continue doing that. Just like running, I want to continue running safely for the rest of my life. I have a friend who's in his 60s right now and he runs 10K every other day. So I definitely know that it's possible. And the same applies to English. English is just a tool. But as I practice my English, I am discovering and I'm learning so many things about myself. I am unlearning the things that I should stop doing. And I'm acquiring a bunch of new habits that help me move forward. My point is that it's very important to accept the idea that this is for life. That this is not a quick fix. And even if you sign up for a course that says it's going to take you six months, you're ready to do something after the course is over and you're going to apply all the knowledge that you learned on that course after the course, because that's the whole point. You sign up for a course to get some knowledge, but the point is not to get the knowledge and to say, okay, I took the English course, done. No, it's not done. What comes next? What comes next is application so that you can apply all the knowledge to improve the quality of your life. Because if you know all these things, you will do them. And if you do all these new things that you now know, the quality of your life will definitely improve. At least for me, that is the point of any education or that is the point of learning any new skill in my life. Because if I'm lacking a skill quality of my life is going to be not so great and I need to learn that skill to improve the quality of my life. So let's talk about optimizing when it comes to English. So when I found myself in this situation when all the courses were over and I actually was the one who was supposed to teach other people but I wanted to continue improving my skills myself, I had to optimize. I knew what I wanted. I've always wanted that absolute fluency in English. 
I knew very well that I had to keep going, otherwise I would just lose the skill. It's very easy to lose the skill, even if you're a language teacher, because if you stop practicing, it's just gone. Or you stagnate, and I didn't want to stagnate, I wanted to move on. Optimizing means you have to do something. So the first question is, what do you do? And the second question is, when do you do it? And how long does it take? Honestly, I had no clue how to answer the second question, when. I had to take an honest look at my day again to understand when I actually have the time to do something. But before I started looking at when, I had to figure out what I was going to do to continue improving my language skills. Because even if you free the time slot in your calendar for English, let's say, you have a one-hour slot on Wednesday at nine o'clock to practice your English skills. It's Wednesday, it's nine o'clock. You sit there in front of your calendar and you don't really know what to do. Um, what should I do? Should I call my English teacher? Should I go and watch YouTube videos on how to improve my language skills? Should I um, go over a bunch of words to and try to memorize them what exactly should i do and what will bring value you need to know what and that was a bit easier for me because i've been developing this system of exercises that actually work and i've been developing them for years and some have become my favorite so i enjoy coming back to them and i enjoy doing them over and over again i'm going to give you an overview of exercises that you can do every single day or every other day i don't know but these are the answers to the question what what can you do to continue improving your language skills your english skills if you already are pretty good but it's just not enough for you and you want to keep enhancing your skills in my system of native like fluency these exercises are usually very simple when you know how to do them they're very not easy to do if you're just starting out and you if you have never tried them before so this is why you need assistance and you need continuous feedback at the beginning of your journey and there is always feedback from myself from your coach when you're starting out and once you learn how to do them they really don't take a lot of time so this is my list of favorite exercises that i do reading out loud i will read a paragraph a day no more than a paragraph inquisitive and attentive listening which means I will listen to one minute of audio or video and pay attention to word combinations that native speakers say that I wouldn't say myself. The next one would be transcribing one minute of audio or video. Another one would be listening to a song, but not just listening to a song, actually learning a song. The next one would be journaling, writing a summary of my day. And the summary can be either a paragraph long or two sentences long. It really depends on how much time I have, on what skill I'm practicing exactly, and on how I feel on that day. Another one would be creative writing exercises. I have an Instagram post on that. I follow very simple instructions. I set the timer for 15 minutes and I started with seven minutes. I set the timer and I just write. And it's a free flow writing exercise. I write everything that's on my mind for 15 minutes straight, nonstop. And then I do the editing work. And it's, it's a cool exercise. I love it as well. Another exercise that is part of my daily routine is playing games. I do play some games online. There are vocabulary games. 
there are games to improve my attentiveness or focus or concentration. All of them are in English, so they all count. I love the exercise of explaining things to myself whenever I come across a word that I do not know or whenever I find myself struggling to explain a concept, I will explain it to myself out loud. And actually doing a podcast is also part of my practice routine because I'm recording myself right now and I will have a chance to listen to my own voice after that and apply the self-correcting algorithms. And trust me, I do make mistakes in almost every episode and I only hear them later. And I use this material to correct myself and to improve my speaking patterns. So that would be a very quick list of exercises that belong to the category of what? What can I do? Now, the second category is when and how long? When do I do them in my day? In order to understand when you have the time in your day, you need to know your day very well. What do you do? every single day and when would you have for a minute to um, dedicate it to one of those exercises it doesn't mean that you have to do all of them but I let's say I do one a day one of those exercises every day and because I do a different exercise every day it gives me variety I'm just this kind of person. I need variety. I cannot do a boring, monotonous routine every single day because I get bored very quickly. Unless it's a drill. Unless I really want to get good at something and I understand that I just have to go through this drill. But English is not a drill for me. English is is art. You know, I always create something. If you pay attention, all the exercises here mean creating something, not filling in the gaps, not memorizing words, not doing a grammar drill, but really creating either an explanation or a podcast or a summary or singing a song out loud, which I also um, think is creating, is creativity, is a creative task or creative writing. And here, many people get stuck because in order to plan a time slot in their day for English, they need to understand how much time they need to plan for it. And you can only find out how long it takes you to complete an exercise if you try doing those exercises. In the beginning, it takes longer. Once you get better, it will take less time. But if you don't know how long it takes you, it's very difficult to plan. If you are a beginner here, if you do not really have your practice routine, you're just doing things intuitively, a little bit here, a little bit there, and you always go back to something that you have always done, like, oh, I'll I'll watch a movie in English, or, oh, I will do these flashcards. But you've done this before, and you're still at the same level. If you're new on this journey, if you don't really have a working routine, a routine that works for you, I would plan a time slot in my day for trying one of the exercises. You don't really know how long it's going to take, but plan 30 minutes in your day so that you have a chance to try an exercise. Okay, 30 minutes on Monday. I'm going to try to summarize something, whatever. My day, my email. You can be creative here. Tuesday. I'm going to plan 30 minutes to listen to a song. Wednesday, 
I'm going to plan 30 minutes and I'm going to try to transcribe a podcast. Let's say Thursday, I'm going to plan 30 minutes and I'm going to read one paragraph from a book that I really like or from a scientific article that I'm, I have to read anyways. <laughs> uh, where were we? Friday, right? Friday, 30 minutes. I'm going to spend 30 minutes on Friday listening to an interview between my favorite actors or celebrities or uh, people of science, someone that I really enjoy listening to, and I'm going to be very attentive to the vocabulary they use and I'm going to write it down. On Saturday, I am going to spend 30 minutes listening to a TAC talk and working with vocabulary or doing a TAD karaoke exercise. All my students know that exercise. And on a Sunday, I'm going to, let's say, summarize my week or I'm going to send a video message to my coach. I know my students send me video messages. That takes practice too. And every single day, you set the timer for 30 minutes. And even if you're not done with the exercise, you stop. 30 minutes after you start it, you simply stop. And you write down how long it's taken you. For example... You can write something like, on Monday, it has taken me 26 minutes to read one paragraph. And I like the way I'm reading it. On Tuesday, it took me 30 minutes to transcribe only half of what I planned to transcribe. So the time that I planned for this exercise was not enough. But the conclusion should be not that you have to spend more time doing this exercise. I would recommend reducing the load of work instead of spending more time transcribing choose a shorter video or a shorter audio to transcribe so instead of working with one minute of audio work with 30 seconds of an audio and transcribe only 30 seconds this way you can make sure you get the job done in 30 minutes so write down the time how long did it take you and what exactly did you accomplish within this 30 minute interval Look, here comes a very important thing. We have to get some sense of accomplishment after every exercise. If you don't feel that you did anything worthwhile today, you just started doing something, but you don't really feel you got somewhere. Yes, you were kind of practicing your English. You were listening to a podcast for 30 minutes, but you don't really feel you, it, it's taken you anywhere. You don't really understand if you have done enough. You don't really know if that was an exercise and if you have completed the exercise. This can be demotivating and even overwhelming and this will not give you clarity. We want clarity. We want to understand that we're moving in the right direction and we can clearly measure our progress. Thus, it's very important to keep track of what you're doing every day and how long it takes you every single day. On average... In order to understand how long each exercise takes you, you need to do the same exercise a few times. And when you see how long it takes you on average, then you can plan your week better. And look, I'm saying daily practice routine. Maybe in your case, it doesn't even have to be daily practice routine. Maybe you should do exercises every other day. I don't know. But another important thing here is that it has to be deliberate practice. A lot of people speak English at work every single day. A lot of people have Zoom calls on their schedule every single day and all of these calls are in English and they have to speak. 
and they have to negotiate and they have to discuss things. A lot of people read everything in English every single day and they have this environment where everybody speaks English. Maybe they even live in an English-speaking country or everything they browse is in English. Every piece of information they look for is in English. But the very same people tell me that they're just maintaining that level. They're not really moving to a new level. Just like my tango teacher used to tell me, <laughs> when I already was pretty good at dancing, but I was still making a bunch of mistakes, and I stopped going to classes, I would only go to milongas, you know, those dance parties where everybody wants to dance and everybody enjoys dancing and nobody will ever tell you that you, you did this move wrong. The point is just to enjoy the dance. And I would only go there and, of course... At Milongas, I was practicing what I already knew. And when my teacher saw me there, <laughs> and when my teacher danced with me at a Milonga, he told me, well, you should come back to lessons. Otherwise, you risk becoming excellent at your mistakes. Because every time you go to a Milonga, you repeat your mistakes. Because you don't know any better yet. And you're not really doing anything to fix your mistakes because you can only fix them in class. There is no time at a dance party to practice that move or to unlearn the habits that are not serving you anymore. When you practice your English skills, you want to devote your time to deliberate practice. Let me explain to you the difference between deliberate practice and having English in the background all day long. If you sit down to watch a movie in the English language, that is not practicing. You're not doing anything to improve your English skills. You're simply maintaining the same level that you already have. And in this case, sit back, relax, enjoy the movie, eat the popcorn. Deliberate practice would mean that you select one minute in that movie and you play it back and forth to do some deliberate work. You either will be working with vocabulary you or you will be looking at stress, pronunciation, intonations, or you will be looking at the sentence structure or whatever, but you will be playing it back and forth because you will have a reason to do so. Again, if this exercise is new to you, you probably want to work with one minute only. As you become better at it, I recommend increasing the time to three minutes max and all the Movie scenes in my resource library for my listening course students are three minutes long for a reason because a beginner can start with 30 seconds, then they can do one minute and three minutes would be enough for the purpose of deliberate practice. If you work in an international company and all your colleagues speak English and you reply to what they say and you write emails in English the way you already know how to write them, you are not improving your English skills. You are maintaining the same level that you already have. If you want to practice your writing skills, let's say, if you want to learn to write better emails, you want to find 30 minutes for deliberate practice. And you got to do the exercise that will serve you best. Maybe you will need to rewrite an email. Maybe you will need to go over some vocabulary that you should stop using in emails. Maybe you want to go through examples of how to communicate that idea in an email better. 
whatever it is, it has to be deliberate, which means there will be a few iterations. You just like a movie scene, you have to play it back and forth. You have to watch it several times. The same applies to writing. Whenever we write something, we always need to add it. And that means we look at our text again and again and again, and we edit it and we look at it again. And then we we need feedback from other people who have also looked at our text and then we edit it again. And then we send it to the person for whom the email is intended and we get the feedback and we know <laughs> instantly if we did a good job. When you understand how long every exercise takes you on average, you can plan your week as I said before. The way it works for me right now is that I don't really plan 30 minutes a day to practice my English skills. Um, I just play by ear because I don't like to plan a very certain time in my calendar for that. I might find something that blows me away and I will stop and do a 10-minute exercise. So I'm very spontaneous here. On some days I might do one exercise, on other days I might do two or three exercises. And each exercise will usually take from 10 to 20 minutes max. So I would rather do a 10-minute exercise in the morning and a 20-minute exercise during the day or something very quick in the evening. But I don't really know what I'm going to do uh, before I start my day. I don't plan it right now because I know exactly what can be done, what I can do. And I'm always ready to be amazed. I'm always ready to find something that will help me create a new exercise. So I'm, I'm very attentive to the information that's coming in. And I don't limit myself to the amount of exercises that I have just mentioned. However, it's very important that you have a very certain idea, a very certain list of exercises that you can do. And to be honest, my list is finite as well. It's a very limited list. Maybe there are 20 exercises altogether. That's it. And I just go from one exercise to another. I don't do reading every single day. Maybe I do reading every four days or every five days. It really depends. And yes, I don't do it every single day, but that works for me. Because I do something else in between, which probably also implies listening and reading and speaking. I'm practicing all the same skills, but I'm doing different exercises. And it gives me the variety that I need. So it's important to understand how you function, how much time you have in your day for English, and how long it takes you to complete every exercise, and how much is more than enough for you. Do you need to work with one minute of a movie scene, or is 20 seconds enough for you at this point? Once you understand your own parameters, and you have to feel comfortable doing these exercises. It's very important that every exercise brings joy. And I'm very honest here. At the end of every exercise, so once I have completed it, I always rate the exercise. I ask myself, Natalia, on the scale from 1 to 10, how much joy did this exercise bring you? And I write down this number. If my number is three or two, I probably should modify. I should adapt. I should not go back to this exercise uh, in, in the same form because I'm doing something wrong. It's very important to monitor how much joy every exercise brings you because if it brings you joy, you want to go back to that. And we, you know, when we talk about 
commitment and lifelong learning and infinite learning process. We want to go back to that. We want to go back to these exercises. We want to keep doing them and we need to be motivated to go back. We're talking here about infinite learning, about lifelong learning, about commitment to improving our English skills or whatever other skills. We want to be motivated to come back to those exercises that make our life a little bit better, that bring joy to our routine. Now, we have been actually speaking about adapting already. Everything we have said before is adapting, understanding how long it takes you, measuring level of joy, understanding how you get to plan your week, knowing how much you can handle so that you can plan only what you can handle and not more than that. This is adapting. If we take cooking, another example, adapting here would mean I choose the ingredients that I want. For me, adapting meant contacting local farmers and and getting direct delivery from the farm. I stopped buying dairy and meat in supermarkets and I get all this delivered from a farm. And I know that I'm paying for good quality. Adapting also means that I adapt the quantity of sugar and oil and butter in the recipes. Usually if I reduce the amount of sugar in every recipe by half, I still get the taste that I like. Most things are just too sweet for me, so I reduce the amount of sugar, I reduce the amount of fat, and I only use high-quality farmer's butter and when I bake things. Adapting also means that I prefer meals that I can make in the oven, which means I do the prep work, I put it in the oven, I set the timer, and I can start doing other things. It's not like I have to stay in the kitchen and keep stirring so that it doesn't burn. I don't need to keep an eye on uh, on it while it's cooking. I just put it in the oven and I forget about it for the next 20 minutes or for the next 60 minutes or for the next two hours, depending on what I'm cooking. That is adapting too. I hope this gives you an idea. And when it comes to innovating, okay, here comes an interesting part. I already said in the first part of this episode that innovating only happens when you know the rules, when you know the basics very well. Now when I know how all these exercises work, I can innovate, I can play around, I can do an exercise and then continue it with another exercise that will help me remember something better that will help me practice the same skill better I can reduce or increase the time and I will even reduce the time because I get what I need so I don't need to practice any longer I can let's say if I play games if I play online games to learn more vocabulary I will immediately Google the word that I'm trying to learn or that just looks interesting to me and I want to learn it. I will Google the word and I will look at Google images to imagine the word. And I will pick the image that appeals to me or maybe the weirdest image or the funniest image. And I will try to explain it out loud. I will try to tell a story about it out loud. And I will time myself to make sure that I haven't exceeded a one minute limit. Or I will set the timer and I will write a story about it. So this will be my creative writing exercise. 
And again, I always set the timer. I make sure that I don't go overboard and that I don't find myself doing some exercises for four hours in a row without any purpose, you know. <laughs> there always must be a purpose. Therefore, I set the timer. I know exactly how long this will take. Or, as I said earlier, in the beginning, when you don't really know how long it takes, you set the timer to find out how long it potentially can take you. And you stop. Once the timer stops, you stop doing the exercise because this is how much you can do within this 30-minute interval, let's say. But innovating to me means mixing the exercises, combining them, reducing some of them, adding things on top of others, and understanding which exercise I need today. Sometimes I will do the reading exercise for a week only. Sometimes I will play with tongue twisters every 20 minutes of my day because it's fun. You know, sometimes I will look up recipes in English when I will watch YouTube videos where people talk about their cooking talents or where they explain how to cook a meal. And I look up most of the recipes in English as well. And I learn a lot from them. I learn a lot from their stories. And then I try to include their stories in my stories. So that is innovating. When I open my browser and where people see just a regular website, I see a fantastic exercise. This is innovating, which is creating to me. And when it comes to cooking, it's also very simple. Innovating means I can play with ingredients. I can remove the ingredients from the recipe that I know I can replace with something better. As I said, the innovating stage begins when you already feel quite confident. With English, it takes a little bit more time than with cooking. Let's say if you have made the same recipe at least three times, and if we talk about baking, let's say if you have made the same cookies, you have followed the same recipe three times, and all three times you get a fantastic result, the, the kind of result that you want, then after about three times you can already start innovating. At least this is how I see it, and this is my experience. I already understand what will happen if I add baking soda to the dough, or what will happen if I add, bake, if I add baking powder, or um, what will happen if I add buttermilk and soda, or how the texture of the dough will change if I add oil instead of butter. So when I understand what I am doing and what result uh, I can get from changing things, from adding things, from removing things, I can create textures that I like. Because if you follow a recipe, you get something that's on the recipe. But if you change something slightly, you can get a different texture. You know, more crispy, more fluffy, uh, more chewy. It really depends. And this is what I love playing with. So I try to describe to you how optimizing, adapting, and innovating works when it comes to building a language practice routine. And it has to be a routine. You need to have a routine because if you don't have a routine, it means you keep doing the things that you're already kind of doing but and you already know how to do, but they're not really bringing results because if they were bringing results, you wouldn't be looking for ways to improve your English skills. So some things are definitely not working or some things need adjustment at this point. 
Hopefully this gave you some insights into how you can build your practice routine. And hopefully the examples were relevant and relatable. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you can relate to those examples or if you have stories from your life that can explain the same concept of building new routines when it comes to acquiring new skills. That would be exciting to exchange experiences. And I'll speak to you in the next episodes.